0: Thank you for joining us today. At Res Life, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Today, I want to bring kind of a standalone message to you uh, entitled Storms and Miracles. Storms and Miracles. You may not uh, think of it this way, but they kind of go together. Storms miracles. I want to read from Mark chapter 6. Now, Mark is one of the synoptic Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, they, almost every story that you find in one, you find in the others. Right? And so it's different perspectives on the same story. And then there's John, John's Gospel who really talks about so many things that none of the other Gospels talk about. But in Mark chapter 6, in verse 34, it says, and Jesus." when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep having no shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. And when the day was far spent, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desert place and it's already, or the hour is late. Now, by the way, the other gospels bring out the fact that they have been with Jesus for three days. It's not just one day, it's three days. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. But Jesus answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii's worth of bread and give them something to eat? And by the way, this is about $40,000. If we go and get one meal for everybody, it's going to take about $40,000. But he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five. And two fish. And by the way, one of the other Gospels brings out that this is a little boy's lunch. Uh, I, I, I read years ago about a critic. And he said, well, the loaves were big and the fish were whales. We get, get the picture. This is a little boy's lunch. All right. This, it is not something, something huge. So he said in verse 39, then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on green gas. So they sat down in ranks of hundreds and fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all, and they all ate and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of fragments of the fish And of those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men, not including the women and children. Immediately he made his disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. When he saw him straining at the oars, for the wind was against them now, about the fourth hour of the night, he came to them walking On the water and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and they cried out. And Jesus answered and said, It is I. Now, notice first thing that we find is we find a miracle, and then immediately we find a storm taking place right afterwards. So often we think that the Christian life is just going to be miracles there's going to be a flowery bed of ease. Well, if it is a flowery bed, it's a rose bed with purpose because it's not just all easy. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter seven, if you hear his words and do his words, he said, there's going to be storms. There's going to be rain. There's going to be winds. There's going to be floods. They're going to beat against the house of your life. So notice, first of all, it says that they've been with him and they're hungry. And again, Other gospel brings out three days, three days without any natural food, but they are so hungry for the word of God that they are sticking around in spite of going hungry for three days. Uh, Most people I know have a hard time making it three hours, right? But these people are so hungry for the word of God that they've gone three days, now, Joshua 1.8 says this, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night. And what I want you to understand is this, that revelation from the word of God, it is literally food for your spirit. In fact, the Bible says in Peter, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. You see, we grow spiritually when we receive the word of God. And without receiving it, we are simply not going to grow. We need God's word. It's food for our spirit. Our physical body wants a Big Mac, but our spirit wants Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's food for your spirit. Now, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus asked his disciples, well, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist, risen from the dead, or... You're like one of the prophets of old. And and Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Now what he had, he had revelation that came to him that nobody taught him and he didn't figure it out. It was supernaturally revealed to him by God, the Father. Now, in the Bible, in your New Testament, there's two words that refer to the Bible. One is the word logos, and it refers to the entire Bible. But there's another word, rhema. And that rhema is, is not the entire word of God. It's the word of God that is supernaturally revealed to you on the inside. In fact, Paul said to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, it's literally the Rama of God. It's when God supernaturally takes that Word and makes it alive on the inside of you. Now, when that happens is when you and I meditate on God's Word. You see, without the Holy Spirit, it is literally impossible to get something out of the Bible. You can memorize the Bible all the way from Genesis to Revelation. But unless the Holy Spirit makes it alive to you, it's just Logos. It's just this this book. But when the Holy Spirit comes along and he reveals it to you supernaturally, that's why it is impossible to hack God's revelation system. A while back, somebody was hacking Jeannie and I trying to get into our stuff. And I mean, they almost got in. But I want to tell you something. You cannot hack God's system, right? Because you can look at it in the natural and try to figure it out. But unless the Holy Spirit comes and reveals it, it's just going to be something you've got in your head, but it's not going to be something that's in your heart. So in Mark 4, Jesus said to them, be careful what you're hearing. The measure of thought and study that you give to the truth that you hear will be the measure of virtue or knowledge that will come back to you. And more besides will be given to you who hear the key to spiritual growth is revelation knowledge. It's when the spirit of God comes and makes that alive on the inside of you. And notice Jesus said it's related to the amount of thought and study, or we can say it this way. It's related to the amount of meditation that you give. When you prioritize the word of God, And you meditate in his word. Now notice it said in Joshua, day and night. Again, in Psalms, it says day and night. You know, the Bible says it this way in Isaiah, it will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. I have so many people that are worried. They're worried about the economy. They're worried about COVID-19. They're worried about racism and unrest. But you know, when your thoughts are focused on God and his kingdom, you're going to have peace when other people are biting their fingernails. When others don't know what to do, you can have peace. He says, you'll have perfect peace if you keep your mind stayed on him. Right. So, so make sure that, that you're just not like doing your duty in the word of God. Right. You've got to get in there and say, Holy Spirit, reveal this to me. Right? Now, one of the things about spiritual truth, there are spiritual truths that run parallel to natural truths. For example, in Corinthians, Paul said a farmer who sows just a few seeds gets a small harvest. He said, but a farmer who sows a lot of seeds gets a big harvest. And he says, even so, in the same way, when you sow little, you get little. When you sow much, you reap much. So there's a parallel. right? But very often, spiritually, things are the exact opposite of natural things. For example, Jesus says somebody slaps you. How many you know what your flesh wants to do? Don't slap them back. But Jesus said, no, just turn the other cheek. Right now, now, in the natural, you think, well, if I want to get, I've got to hoard. But Jesus said, give and it'll be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together, running over. It's the exact opposite. And when it comes to spiritual food, it is the exact opposite. How many remember Thanksgiving? I remember Thanksgiving. What a great day. Lots of pies. (laughs) I love pie. Had too much. Anybody here besides me had too much? I had so much that I was thinking to myself, self, you shouldn't eat for three days. It's like when you get full, listen, when you get full with natural food, you're not hungry for anymore. The exact opposite is true of spiritual food. The more spiritual food you consume, the more spiritual food you want right and if you want to get away get to a point where you have no spiritual hunger just stay away from spiritual food if you stay away from spiritual food your hunger for spiritual food begins to diminish but the more you receive the more your capacity grows and the more you want to receive so so that's why for example it's important to get somebody who doesn't know god in an atmosphere where the spirit of god is moving Right? Because they get a taste of, they have no hunger at all. But they get a taste; they just get a taste, and they're like, "Ooh, I want some more of that." Something on the inside went, I want more of that, right? And that's why it's very important that you and I don't try to take a vacation from the things of God. You try to take a vacation from God's things, right? And what happens is your your capacity diminishes and your hunger diminishes. Right? So I want to just encourage you: stay in church. If you can't get to church, stay on that podcast, right? But I want to say that, that it's better to be here than it is to watch from there. And, and, and you say, why is that? Well, first of all, just think of it like this, right? How many of you sent something today in that worship? You get in an atmosphere where the spirit of God is moving, right? And there's community that you don't get when you're, when you're there and you're not here. But if you can't be here, be there, right? But here is better than there. Just thought I let you know that. All right. So, so the disciples, Jesus, we don't have any. And Jesus says, what do you have? What do you have? So often what we do is we look at what we have and it's not enough. Right. But here's the thing. When you bring him not enough and he blesses what's not enough, what's not enough ends up being more than enough. And I want to remind you, when he came to Abraham, he said, in your King James Bible, he said, I am Lord God Almighty, right? But what he actually said in Hebrew, he says, I'm El Shaddai. El Shaddai means the God who is more than enough. He's not barely enough. He's not El Cheapo. He's not just enough. He is more than enough. But miracles begin with what you have. There is a, a, a widow in the Old Testament who comes to the prophet Elisha. And, and she says to him, you know, my husband, her husband used to work with them, with the prophet. And he says, and all that he did, he says, but now the creditors have come and we've been forced, I've been forced to mortgage. And in those days, you mortgage yourself or your kids. And she had mortgaged her two sons and they're coming to take my sons. And this was his, his response. What do you have? In your house. And she says, I have nothing except one little jar with a little bit of oil. He says, Great. He says, Go to all the people you know and gather vessels, not a few. Go to your house, you and your sons, close the door, close the windows, and start to pour and pour and pour and pour. And the Bible says she just kept on filling until every single vessel was full. And then there was no more. The size of her miracle was determined by the size of her faith. So the prophet said, well, take and sell all that oil and pay all your debts and live on the rest. But it was what do you have? David didn't have a lot. All he had was a slingshot. How I many know that was enough. Moses didn't have a lot. All he had was a rod. But that rod became the rod of God. God multiplies and uses what we have. Here's what I, I, as you study this, this, uh, this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, it mentions that they don't count the women and children. Now, here's what I think is great. God uses to do a miracle what nobody else counted. <laughs> Whose lunch was it? It was a little boy's lunch. And nobody counted the little boy. Right? You know what God wants to do? God likes to use, to bring miracles, those that nobody else counts on. See, they may look at your age or your education or your gender or your race or your past or your hurt or an abuse or an addiction. And they may think, well, they don't count. If they say you don't count, God's counting on you. That's who God is going to use. God's going to use somebody the world doesn't count because God says, then I get all the glory. And not only that, the people that others don't count, God says, I count them because they matter just as much as anybody else matters. It wasn't much, just five loaves and two fish. And remember, it's a little boy's lunch. Probably better to say five slices of bread with a little bit of fish in there. The others... They wrote him off, but Jesus took it. Now, next thing it says that he did is he separated them into groups of 50 and 100. Now, I don't know if (laughs) trying to get people to do something's like trying to herd cats. It's just not easy, right? And they're trying to get people to get in a group of 50. You're too many. You're not enough. Get over here. Get over there. Groups of 50, groups of 100. They've already been waiting three days to eat. And and now Jesus is getting ready for the miracle and he's taking time organizing everything. Let me just say something. The best miracles sometimes take time. The best miracles take time. Hebrews 10, 38. It says, for you have need of endurance. That's the new King James. Some translations just say patience but that's not it. It's endurance. I mean, you can be patient sitting in a rocking chair doing nothing, right? You're just patient. You're just rocking. You're doing nothing. But endurance is different than patience, right? Because endurance says you're doing something. You're going through something, right? You're fighting way, your way to that place. I love what Jesus said. He said, the kingdom of God suffers violence in the violent. Take it by force. There's some enduring that needs to take place. The Bible says this about Job, Job 5, 11. Indeed, we count them blessed who endured. And you have heard of the perseverance, the perseverance of Job, and have seen the intended end by the Lord, that the Lord was very compassionate and merciful. Now, now notice this, that it says, you've seen the perseverance of Job. You know the story. He loses everything that he has. Then he loses his family. Then he loses his health. But notice what the Bible says. The end intended by the Lord. God's plan. God God wasn't looking for him to lose his stuff and his kids and his health and his marriage and all the stuff that went with it. God had an intended end and his end was not loss, but his end was blessing. In fact, the Bible says at the end, God turned his captivity, gave him twice as much as he had before. Now, he began with, he was the richest man in all of the East. If I remember right, he had 2,000 yoke of oxen and like 5,000 camels. Who needs 10,000 camels anyway? Right? I mean, God didn't just show up with enough. He showed up with more than enough. God's intended in was not the problem, but God's intended in was a breakthrough in blessing and provision and miracles and healing. That was God's intended in. The, the, the Bible says this in Romans chapter 8. It says, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. I don't know what storm you're in right now, but if it's not good, it's not the end. You got that? If it's not good, it's not the end because God, when he's done, he works all things together for our good. And if it's not good yet, it's just not the end yet. And there needs to be some persevering. There may need to be, you need to stand, you need to rebuke, you may need to do something, but you just stand. So he said, sit them in fifties, sit them in hundreds. Now notice that there's structure in this miracle, right? We need structure to manage the blessing that God wants to give. We need structure. Right. we're in God's house here. If we get 50 people to turn, give their lives to Jesus today, and we've got no plan on how we're going to disciple them and how we're going to help them grow in their spiritual life. how many of you know we may have had a harvest, but we'll lose the harvest. You know I was fishing with my grandson this week, and uh, we, were, we were catching some fish, and let me tell you something, you can't put 50, you can't keep 50 fish if you don't have a bucket. You need a bucket to put the fish in. You need structure. Uh, a friend of mine, his name is Willie George. He pastored in Tulsa, Oklahoma for years. He tells the stories. He's graduating from high school. He, he's a, he is the hero on the football team, captain of the football team, most valuable player. And he thinks, I'm going to get, you know, some, a scholarship going up, going into college. I'm, I'm going to get the scholarship. But the scouts come and they don't, they don't even, they don't give him anything And they take another guy from the team who's kind of an oaf. He says, just a big oaf. And he says, and I could not figure it out until later when they told me. They looked at me and they said, you're as big as you're going to get. You're fully developed. But they looked at him and they said, we can put 60 to 80 pounds on him in the next four years. Because he's got the structure to hold it. Right? And the same thing is true of a bless- of a blessing. You've got to have the structure to hold it. You, I, I think all of us have heard the stories about people who play the lotto. Don't do it. All right. It's just a tax on stupidity. <laughs> but, but, uh, no, no, listen. So, so somebody wins the lotto and they win hundred million dollars. And five years later, they're divorced. Their families fall apart. They're addicted, and they're broke. They didn't have the structure in place to hold the blessing that came, right? So that's why sometimes the best miracles, they take some time because we've got to have the structure in place to receive what God has for us. Otherwise, God blesses us and we lose it. So they bring to Jesus the five loaves, the two fish. He gives thanks. He blesses it. He blesses what's not enough. There's 15 to 20,000 people there, 5,000 men, plus women and children. But notice what he did. He is grateful and he gives thanks for what is not enough. And then God multiplies what is not enough. In Philippians 4, verse 6, it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanks, giving." Let your request be made known unto God. Most of us forget that part with thanksgiving. We go to God and we say, God, my car is in bad shape. My car needs tires. My tires leaking. My car leaks oil. My car is this. And God, I'm just ashamed of my car. And I don't know why you haven't given me a new one. God, I'm ashamed of this car. Well, listen, uh, if you're not thankful for the car that you have, no matter what its condition, I promise you, If God gave you a new car, you'd be complaining in three months. You'll be complaining. We need to be thankful for what we have where we are today. And if you're thankful for what you have today, you're going to be thankful. If you're not thankful for a one-room apartment, you won't be thankful for a a five-bedroom, six-bath house. See, it's an attitude. Uh, With my kids, grandkids, you know, if I give them something, they're kind of like, oh, okay. Well, I probably won't get them something again for a while. All right? But if I give them something, they go, Oh, Papa, you're the greatest Papa in the world. I'm like, You're right. I'm going to the store right now to get you something. Isn't it true? It's true. And the Bible says when we come, we need to come with an attitude of thanksgiving. Right? See, you see, but it's have a little. Yeah, but when you have that little and you're thankful and God blesses it, A little ends up being more than enough, more than enough. And so often we've got the attitude of the, of the prodigal son's older brother. Remember as the prodigal son comes back, the father sees him, runs out, embraces him, kills the fatted calf, puts a robe on him, new shoes on his feet, ring on his finger. And he says, we're having a party. Kill that fatted calf. The older brother comes and sees what's going on and he won't even go inside. And so his father goes out and says, what's wrong? He says, well, look, your, your, your son has come and you killed the fatted calf. And uh, some of your translations will say, and you never even gave me a young goat. One paraphrase says this, you never even gave me a skinny goat. I think a lot of Christians have a skinny goat God. They have a God that will give, give them maybe, maybe a skinny goat. See, but God doesn't want to give you a skinny goat. He wants to give you a fatted calf. He wants you to be blessed. But so often our mentality is so small. We need to be thankful. And don't be thankful when everything arrives. I believe it's in the book of Nehemiah where they're laying the foundation of the temple. Right? Now, this is just the foundation. And when they get the last stone of that foundation laid, they're blowing the trumpets and they start worshiping God. And they start shouting. Right Now, the temple isn't done. It's just the foundation. And they start shouting. And they're worshiping the Lord. And they're praising God. And they're shouting, praise God for his mercy endures forever. Hallelujah. And the Bible says they heard them a great way off. Not when it was done, but when there was just the foundation. I want to challenge you. Don't wait until your full healing's there, till the full provision's there, till the full deliverance is there. When you just get a little blessing from God, start shouting. Start giving thanks. Seeing God, I thank you. The rest of it's coming. I thank you for this provision. I thank you for healing. I thank you for deliverance. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for direction. God, I thank you for your Holy Spirit. Begin to be thankful, not when everything arrives, but in the beginning. And after the blessing, giving of thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. He gives thanks, he blessed it, and he broke it. I want to make mention of something that God takes our brokenness and he blesses it and he uses it. He takes our brokenness. Second Corinthians 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation. Now, tribulation simply means the problems of this life, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. In other words, we're going through tribulation, we're going through trouble. And God ministers to us in the midst of that trouble and God brings us through. And then what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to take that same comfort and grace that God has deposited on the inside of us, not just for us, but for others, because the Bible says we're supposed to take that same comfort, same grace, and we're supposed to minister that grace to others. You know, you may have been rejected or abandoned or abused. You you may have a past that's horrible. There have been addictions you've, addictions. you've made bad choices. You've lost loved ones. Your child's going down a wrong path. You've had m- money reversals. Uh, you You've been cursed criticized, written off, ostracized, had your heart broken, your home broken. But do you know what? In any one of those, God says, you turn to me in the name of the Lord. It is a strong tower and the righteous run into it. They are saved. There's grace. There's victory. There's provision. He sees you through, but that is not just supposed to be for you. You're supposed to pass it out. You see, your test is supposed to become a testimony. Your mess become a message. Your trial, a triumph. You were a victim, but he's going to cause you to become a victor. Don't, don't just sit there with what God has ministered to you. Use it to be a blessing to others. One last thought. Jesus gave it to the disciples and they passed it out. You know, the blessing went through their hands but it wasn't from their hands. It wasn't from them, but it went through them. And I just mentioned to you how the Bible tells us that when we're going through tribulation or any trouble, that God ministers to us comfort, grace, consolation, victory. He ministers to us. It's supposed to be for us but it's not supposed to stay with us. It's supposed to go through us to others. And it doesn't matter what your situation is. You say, yeah, but I'm going through some stuff. But you know what? He said, I'll prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. I don't know what you're going through, but I know my God, and he's able to see us through Anything that comes our way. Literally, when God begins to prepare that table before you in the presence of your enemies, people come around and they say something like this. I don't know why I'm doing this, but I don't know why. But you know why? It's because God, God is moving on your behalf. And again, the name of the Lord, it is a high tower. The righteous, they run into it and they are safe. You know Jesus literally if you if you're looking in your Bible you will find him from Genesis to Revelation. He's everywhere in your Bible. In Genesis he was the seed of the woman, in Exodus he was the Passover lamb, in Leviticus Our high priest, in Numbers, a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night, in Deuteronomy, a prophet like Moses, in Joshua, the captain of our salvation, in Judges, he was the lawgiver, in Samuel, our trusted prophet, in Chronicles, our king, in Ezra, our scribe, in Esther, our Mordecai, in Job, our living redeemer, and in Psalms. He is the Lord, our shepherd, so that we don't want, who prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies so that our cup runs over. He is the God who is more than enough. Take what we have that's not enough. Give it to him and it will become more than enough. Say, would you bow your heads for just a moment? I know in a group of this size, we have people in every spiritual condition. People that serve God all their life and some that are away from God. And if that's you today, you're away from God. You're not right with God. You say, Pastor, I want to be right. What do I need to do? You need to know this, that Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one, no one comes to the Father except through him. It's not your efforts. It's not trying to do things right. In fact, Romans 3.20 says no one has ever been made right with God by being a good person. So often we think, I'm just going to try to be good. I'm going to try to do it right. But that will not save you. Jesus went to the cross and shed his blood and paid for your sin and my sin. And what we need to do today is receive that sacrifice and surrender our life to him. So I'm going to ask everybody, wherever you're at online, Here in person, please take one hand, put it over your heart. Mm -hmm. Lift your other hand towards heaven. We're all going to pray together with those that are away from God and not right with God. I want you to make these words your own. Say this out loud from your heart. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe he rose again. Victorious over death, sin, and the devil. And today I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I'm going to live for him every day. I thank you. You've heard my prayer that I am forgiven. My past is gone. I'm a part of your kingdom today and forever. In Jesus name. Amen. We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the word of God we upload weekly. So join us again next time. Be blessed and enjoy your week.